Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to the Once Bitten podcast and thank you as always for listening. Joining me on this episode is Uberpleb Adam Gleason who joins us from the US. He is a professional motorsports driver. He's driving around in a Bitcoin liveried megawatt power amazing looking BMW and uh, hitting all up the, uh, the, the race weekends all over the US. So please make sure you follow him. If you're in the US, get along to one of these events. Go and support if you can. Try and build a community around this, especially if you are already a race fan. Why wouldn't you go along and build up a, a Bitcoin meetup alongside this? Adam is looking to connect with as many Bitcoiners as he possibly can as he carries on this journey. And if you are looking to up your exposure as a Bitcoin company, then initiatives such as this are obviously a great way to do that you also have on this side of the pond bitcoin racing so i don't know what's going on guys but somehow motorsport and bitcoin are becoming a thing these guys are good friends they're supporting each other from across the pond i'd love to see them race each other one day uh perhaps we'll get that done but um i hope you enjoy the show and reach out to adam afterwards if there's any way that you can add value or get along and support now before we get into it uh, I want to take you through a show, the show sponsors, but I'm going to do that in a certain order because there's a way for you to stack, there's a way for you to educate yourself, there's a way for you to up your privacy, there's a way for you to self-custody, and there's a way for you to meet other Bitcoiners, and this is like the, the stack of Bitcoin. Uh, so where do you stack? Well, first of all, you've got to purchase some Bitcoin. You can do that with Bitcoin-only companies around the world. If you're based in the US, you can use swampbitcoin.com. Use forward slash Bitten or the code Bitten at sign up. You'll get a free 10 bucks when you start your stacking journey. Those guys have got all kinds of services. They've got a white glove service, onboarding service. They're going to help you with your 401k. If you need to switch over your retirement, they've got education. They're a great team. They've been in biz a long time. So swanbitcoin.com forward slash Bitten. This side of the pond, relay, R-E-L-A-I dot C-H forward slash Bitten. Same kind of service. They do everything that Swan do. You can download the app and start stacking up to a thousand Swiss equivalent per day straight from your most preferred payment method. And uh, you can do that in seconds. There's no real sign-up process to go through. So get relay.ch and use the code BITTEN. Get that downloaded and start your stacking. They also have the private service and Bitcoin for businesses as well. Coin Corner are based in the UK. They can help you plebs in, uh, in the UK switch your pounds into Bitcoin. And they can also uh, service the Euroland too. Euro plebs, you can open a Coin Corner account. You can also help your local merchants because they have Coin Corner merchant accounts. And they also have uh, their, their, their app is linked to your account. So you can pay directly with Lightning from your account. So if you leave a few Satoshis, on the on the exchange at coin corner it's no big deal you can just use that as a spend 
uh, as you go. It's just literally like having a, an ATM card. They're doing great work and they are expanding. So look out for more to come from Coin Corner. Hit the link in the show notes and that will get you a free 10 pounds when you exchange your first 100 pounds worth into Bitcoin. Hoddlehoddle.com. Hit the link in the show notes. This is going to save you on commission. These guys are KYC free global peer-to-peer trading and lending platform. So go and check out Hoddlehoddle and set up your account using that link in the show notes. Now that's how you stack. How do you up your privacy? Well, you need to pull all of your Bitcoin off of these exchanges or apps and you want to do that as quickly as possible. You can enter into a service known as a coin join. There are a few services out there. The service that supports this show is wasabiwallet.io. It's very easy to use. You just download the software on your desktop, set up a wallet, receive some of Satoshis from these exchanges or apps and you are in a coin join automatically. You then need to get into cold storage. How do you do that? Well, you get a Bitbox. You go to bitbox.swiss forward slash bitten. You will save 5% if you use the code bitten on your hardware wallet brought to you by Bitbox. Now, get to a conference. Liberty in our lifetime is going to be end of the year October. That's put on by Free Cities Foundation, Parallel Structures. You've got uh, the Baltic Honey Badger coming up in September. You can use code BITTEN for either of these conferences to get 10% off. Baltic Honey Badger is put on by Hoddle Hoddle. And make sure you're educating as many people as you can. Get to mempool.space for your educational material and to visualize the Bitcoin blockchain. I hope you enjoy this rip with Adam. All right, we're recording. We're here with uh, Ricky Bobby himself. Say hi, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me here. They, they were asking me who we're going to uh, be interviewing, and I told them um, a race car driver called Adam Gleason. And we've been watching a little bit of uh, the YouTube to get uh, up to speed, pun intended, listeners. Yes. And they've got some questions for you. So Lauren, in tradition, will uh, to keep with tradition, will go first, and uh, then on to Samuel. Okay. Um, who's your favorite character in Talladega Nights? Ooh, um, that's a good one because there's so many good characters. Um, I think that my favorite is probably um, see, this is a loaded question for a racing driver. You have to think of this pretty uh, quite a bit. Um, I think it's probably Ricky Bobby's dad, which I can't think of of uh, his name. Was it Wh- Reese Bobby? Good, it's Reese Good Bobby. Point. It, it could be. Yeah, um, I, I just, I to me, he's the one that made me laugh the most in that, uh, and his kind of like old school race driver spirit is is just really cool. He's a very flawed guy, um, can't commit to anything, uh, so he's definitely not a. Uh, uh, a perfect hero, but I, I think the way that he comes around in the end is cool. And do you remember his dad made Ricky Bobby get in a car with a like a Jaguar or a Cougar, cougar. or something? Yeah, or... with a Cougar to train. Yeah. Has your dad ever made you do that? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe when you start to drive, that might be lesson three or four. That's possible. Go on in, Samuel. Yeah, good question, though. So, my next question is. 
well, no, not my next. The next one is, what's the fastest lap that you've ever driven ever in a car? Oh, that's a great question too. Um, I think it probably was um, was at Coda at Circuit of the Americas, the most recent uh, track we were at, which is cool because it's the F1 track. So that's the same track that like Lewis Hamilton and Kimi Räikkönen and like all of my heroes uh, drive. So to drive a quick lap there, you have to really get all these little marks correct. And it takes some bravery at a couple of the corners. You've got this downhill sweeper that everything in your body says to like lift off the gas, but then you have to kind of like say like, no brain, I'm going to keep the foot down. And so sometimes you even feel to hesitate, like you want to even put the left foot over the right foot just to keep that gas pedal down. So kind of battling yourself. And then the other parts, it just takes being incredibly accurate. Uh, so it's like a cool mix of like bit of bravery, bit of nerdy accuracy. It's, it's a, uh, yeah. So circuit of the Americas was, was definitely it. Is that your um, favorite um, circuit? Um, my favorite circuit is probably VIR, which is the cool because it's the next race. And so it's in two, three weeks time. And VIR is cool because it's kind of like if Circuit of the Americas was built 50 years ago. It's like racetracks, like the old school racetracks like that, like the trees aren't too far away. It's very hilly. Uh, it's got a really cool flow to it. So if you get the car into this right rhythm, you kind of get into like a really good flow with the car um, where just everything keeps going faster. Um, and it's it's a big roller coaster track too, which honestly, I hate roller coasters because I'm afraid of heights. Um, but if I'm in control of the roller coaster, I'm cool with it. So yeah, VIR is probably the one that I've been looking forward to the most all year. Yeah. All right. Thanks guys. Lauren, did you want to ask your... Um your other usual question before you guys say goodbye uh um so what is your favorite thing about bitcoin favorite thing about bitcoin um probably like how much hope it gives me um for the future and for like your guys generation for i'm still young enough my generation um i i think that there's a lot of things in the world that can be scary. And I think that this is something that you can really be excited about. And um, we know that it's not going to get changed. And so to me, it gives me like a lot of hope to the potential of, of the world. And so um, that's probably it. All right. Bitcoin is hope. <laughs> Bitcoin is hope. Say goodbye, guys. Bye. Thank good you. All right. Cool. Thanks. See you guys. Appreciate you. Yeah, that was a good answer. And thank you. Okay, cool. Awesome. See you guys. And you're right, in Adam. France, right? you're pardon, France, say right? that again. Are you in France right yes. now? Correct. France. Yeah. Uh, south of France in the Dordogne region. Okay. Very cool. Um, yeah. no, we were nowhere near Monaco. I was going to ask Monaco, and you've also got Le Mans in two weeks, uh, which is also an incredibly cool race. Whereabouts, sorry? Lamar. Oh, um, right. Okay. No, yeah, no we're a very, very long way from there as well. Uh, France is a huge country um, that, uh, yeah, it would, for me to get up there, would take seven or eight hours, I guess, I guess to, to drive up there for that weekend. But um, yeah, well, thanks for, thanks for coming on. And it's great to see another uh, sports, professional sports person in 
the Bitcoin space. Uh, I've already had uh, professional race drivers on. Uh, Katie the Russian was an ex-professional sailor. Had UFC fighters on, a husband and wife team, uh, who are actually fighting for Bitcoin. So, uh, you guys are driving adoption. And what's your, your, um, what's your tagline? Because you've got um, who, who sponsors you and what's the tagline that you guys are using? Yeah, uh, Megawatt uh, sponsors us. Uh, they're, a, they're a vertically integrated Bitcoin mining facility in Indiana. Um, so they do everything from, you, they basically take care of everything hosting. You, you can pay a power bill uh, at the end of every month, and then they make sure the miners are running as you know well as they possibly can. They do an amazing job there. And so that's what they offer. So they allow, obviously, there's many ways to invest in Bitcoin from holding it itself versus microstrategy versus anything, you know, other things. But if you do want to mine, um, this this kind of makes it easy. Um, it's funny. We've, our, we've been mining for two years now, and I've never actually seen any of our miners, but they exist. And I and I know they do because I can check the pool and all of that. Um, so they just make it that easy and hands off. Um, so yeah, our, um, our the tagline we came up for that was turning hash power into horsepower, uh, which is super cool. Love it. Thanks. Love it. Yeah, and the Bitcoin Racing, I got the Bitcoin Racing t-shirt on just to speak to you. Uh, and they're, they're a Bitcoin Racing team based out of the UK. I know you, I think you've even spoken with each other. I know you follow each other and uh, cheer each other on from across the, uh, across the waves. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and they've got the the tagline "Driving Bitcoin Adoption." It's so cool what the uh, the taglines that uh, you guys are coming up with. It's it's pretty easy to do. It's it's but I love their tagline, and yeah, we do follow each other and cheer each other on. We're we're doing the same thing. It's just on two different sides of the lake. So yeah, I love what they're doing, yep. um, and they've got a huge variety of cars from Clio Cup to Porsche Cup. Like so, um, yeah, it's really cool to see what they're doing. All right, so let's find out a little bit about yourself and um, back it up to to what you were doing growing up and uh, and how you eventually found the path to Bitcoin, and then we'll mix that in with your professional career and race car driving and and all of that um, kind of historical stuff, which the plebs love learning about. So, yeah, what where did you grow up, and um, was your family always in racing driving, or is this completely something new now? Yeah. So I grew up in Indiana. So I think that explains a good amount of it because Indy, Indy 500 is right. kind of everywhere and we have NASCAR so close. And uh, so I grew up like racing, like my brothers and other kids in the neighborhood on bicycles. And we would, you know, we'd set up track limits with like a brick. So if you, if you hit the brick, you would, you'd topple over. Like we, we tried to make it uh, as aggressive as we could. So kind of growing up in Indiana, I think it gets into your blood. Um, and I went to IU and then, um, a friend of mine did a lot of carding at Purdue. And I think if I, in another life, I would have been an engineer. Um, but uh, a friend of mine's dad had some cool cars. And and so I was, you know, I thought, well, how do you get that? And he was a doctor. So I thought, okay, well, I can, I can do that. Uh, so I went to college and then uh, went to medical school. Um, and that's where I met my wife. Uh, we went to medical school up in Cleveland. Um, and we did... Uh, then we did our residency in radiology uh, down here in Dallas. That's what brought us to Texas. Um, and so then we were in residency and I noticed like workload was going up. My bosses weren't the happiest. And so Mandy and I both picked up on this and we thought, okay, well, what else can we do um, so that we can kind of have some balance in our lives? Cause we didn't want to just work constantly. And um and so a friend of ours who I actually was doing some carding with at the time, because in the in residency, I was both 
go-karting and, you know, working, you know, as a resident, uh, which is, you know, tons of hours and he'd started a business and it, it seemed like, uh, a way to do something. So, uh, he was in e-commerce. And so we thought, oh, we could probably do that too. And maybe in a small way, you know, we'd have a small e-commerce company that would work on the side. We do that on the weekends or something. And then we wouldn't have to, you know, work as hard as all the radiologists that we saw were working. And then it kind of kept taking off. And this is after, and I'm kind of shortcutting the story a bit. There were a couple failures along the way, like every entrepreneur has. Uh, but then one idea started to really pick up. And so, and that company is called Replica Services. And that was in our end of our, let's see. Yeah, we only had six months left of residency. So almost done. And then it started to pick up and I and it started to take more and more time. And I had to make a decision, like, do I stay do I go work as a doctor like was planned or do I completely make a big leap and, and go become an entrepreneur fully? And, um, luckily, you know, Mandy and I are both doctors. So she stayed in it and she stayed, she did a fellowship, uh, for a year. So we still had that kind of like, it wasn't like a huge leap. It was at least, you know, a big change. Um, but we still had one kind of one foot in one foot out. Um, and then a year later she left. And so, we both have, uh, we're both no longer practicing doctors. We're full-time business owners. Um, and, uh, so we kept going with that and, uh, two years into that, three years into that, we, we kind of got into Bitcoin mining. So I'll kind of pause there. Cause that was a lot from, you know, racing yeah, bikes okay. kid all the way through becoming a doctor to leaving it to business <laughs> owner and investor. but that's, that's our story. Pretty typical, uh, typical story. What is the, you said it was a replica business, the e-commerce business. Uh, could, could you explain exactly what that yeah, is? Yeah, it's called replica services. We basically, we, we create photography backdrops and educational tools for small business owners and creators. So, you know, when you take a, a photograph of your product, like it's, it's actually kind of hard to make it look good. And we kind of figured that out. Cause one of those, those first failures I was talking about, it was a box cutter that would have been a terrible, non-profitable idea. The idea was to be like kid safe and it would attach to your fridge. And we're all getting so many boxes from Amazon. Like it'd be an easy way to open them and rather than ripping them apart or what I was doing was damaging Mandy's really nice cooking knives. So that was kind of the start right. of that idea. But trying to photograph a prototype, we were like, this is hard. Like a lot of people struggle with this. Um, so then we thought, well, how do people do this? And we found that there was some DIY things. And so DIY is an interesting space because if people are making it for themselves, there's always a potential market that that could be a product that you could make for them that you could do better. Um, so that's what we did. And so, uh, between these backdrops and education and community, um, and some other, uh, products that help make all the, that work better as a system. Uh, that's what we've been doing for, for five years now. So we're celebrating our fifth anniversary this year. Well, congratulations on, on taking the leap and, uh, and building something and sticking with it and riding the wave and not succumbing to the, the sunk cost fallacy of that four-year residency med school type thing. I'm sure it was pretty hard to make that decision. Yeah. How, yeah. And what was that? What were the people that you knew best and were closest to you in your life what were they saying to you at that point when you're like yeah no i'm going to walk away from this so there's an interesting thing with that i think the people that know you longest like get more worried for you so some of my oldest friends and family i could tell like 
they were nervous for me. I mean, to, to walk away from medicine, which was a huge time commitment and monetary commitment, um, was a big thing. But, um, to me, I mean, I still felt young enough to, to make that kind of change. And so I found that the people that I know the longest, uh, were a bit more worried for me. Um, but then the people that I knew more recently, uh, were just excited and they saw the excitement of the, of the product and, and people's response to it. And so, it was interesting, kind of newer friends were a bit more excited and energized for it, but older friends were a bit more worried. So it was a, it was a mixed bag, but over time now, like everybody's, you know, parents don't worry about me as much, but versus that at the start, they were rightfully a bit worried. Probably just worry about you when you're on the starting grid or going into a race weekend. Yes. But so I thought to become a professional driver, you had to be, you know, doing a thousand laps a day from the age of seven in go-karts uh for like 12 years to make your big break into the um into the you know the the actual scenes and the formulas doesn't sound as though you've done it that way so when were you finding the time obviously you said you're doing some racing whilst you were at uh, residency but not fully committed to that that's a huge leap from yeah i'm doing a bit of karting on the side to i'm now a pro race driver yes how on earth what happened? Well, you're not wrong is- about like starting when you're seven. I think Sebastian Vettel started when he was three. Um, and you need to do that. If you're going to go to the Indy 500, if you're going to go to Formula One, you really need those just very early years where your brain's very plastic and you can just get these responses coded into your brain. Um, you can start it when you're older. Paul Newman uh, has a cool quote. He says, you can race for 20 years. You just have to pick the 20 years. He didn't start racing until mm-hmm. he was much, much older. So I think as as um, as you get older, I think it, it becomes more of a passion thing. I think you need to really want to live it and breathe it and take the knocks that it gives you. Race, learning a race is one of the most humbling things in the world because you're next to people that are doing something better than you and a corner better than you, or, you know, so it's, it's just, it's, you're getting directly compared so fast. Um, and there's not a lot of times in life where you have that immediate feedback response, trying hard at something that's, um, you're kind of getting into brainstem stuff like reaction times and these things, but you, you can still control it with your brain and still, um, you know, read data and, and do these things. Um, so, it's definitely possible to do it when you're older. I, you know, when I get into something, I get very into it. I get very passionate about it. Uh, karting, I was very passionate about while I was in residency. Uh, I was the only kind of racing I could afford at the, at the time. Um, and, uh, but I learned, I, I learned on a really crappy go-kart that had a, a brake that like, as soon as you hit it, it would lock the tires. So then it learned, I learned from that to be like very delicate with the brakes. Um, but yeah, so I think I'd refer to the Paul Newman quote of you can race any 20 years, but it, you definitely have to really want it, I think, when you're older. Yeah. So how did you get the seat? How did you get that drive? Is it, because it's different in, in each country and in each formula. Um, what was your footsteps into that particular role? Yeah, so during the pandemic, I mean, I just sat and watched racing constantly. And we were in that mode of like, when this thing ends, like, what do we want to do? And the thing kept being racing because I had to kind of, I had to give up karting when we started the business. You can only focus on so many things. So I gave up racing completely for a couple of years. And then as soon as the pandemic ended, uh, 
I started jumping into race cars. I tried to find the cheapest seats that I could, like at uh, BMW as a racing school out at Thermal that we went to. And then um, I, I then I found a, a really great coach uh, named Johan Schwartz, and he had a car that I could kind of hop into and learn. So I spent a year and a half driving as many tracks as I could um, with Johan, like across the country. And, uh, that was really helpful because as you see more tracks and more corners, more there's corners that are similar to each other at different tracks. And so it kind of really helps to hone you to teach different things. Um, so I spent that year and a half kind of training myself and getting used to the speeds of a race car because race cars are even mine, which I watched on TV and I'm like, that doesn't look nearly as fast as it is in there. Every time I'm on the brakes, it's like, I'm like you know, kind of like groaning in there because it hurts that they break that hard. Um, so you have to get used to that. Um, so then I, I, um, I drove those for a year and a half and then there's a team here called fast track in Dallas. Uh, I jumped in their car, started setting some laps that were uh, like really close to, um, their, their top drivers. And so that was huge. And so that was a bit of a proving ground of, okay, I've got pace. Um, and then, you know, I, Toby who owns fast track racing, doesn't own, uh, operates fast track racing, got me a race license based on that speed and my history at all these tracks and, and just kind of how my approach to things. So I, I got that racing license, which was great. And obviously I passed tests and did things like that. Um, and then I talked to, I gave a phone call to Ilya, um, who owns megawatt founded megawatt. And I was like, Hey, I really want to go start racing. Um, Racing's expensive, um, and but I think there's a really cool opportunity where we can put Bitcoin on the car, and um, and megawatt on the car, and and actually drive excitement for Bitcoin, which is something he and I love doing, and he and I bonded over Bitcoin for years. So um, that's how it really got started. It was like, hey, I think there's a cool ROI here, and um, and then yeah, we we came, it came together so fast. Um, it was it was cool. All right, so now let's back it up and start the Bitcoin rabbit hole story, and then we'll try and merge everything together. Cool. Uh, so you're building the business, you got residency on the go, and you're trying to cart at the same time. Then COVID comes along. There's a shit ton going on in your life. How on earth did you have room to fall down the Bitcoin rabbit hole as well? Or when did that start happening? Yeah, um, yeah, it, a lot did happen in these last couple of years, eh? Um, in, uh, my, my Bitcoin store was pretty typical. Ilya was actually the guy who got me into Bitcoin. And I think, uh, something that I'm, I'm good at is listening to people. And so he was so excited and he was one of the smartest people I ever met. I was like, there's has to be something there. So I started listening to him, bought a little Bitcoin. And then I thought, well, there's, you know, Bitcoin's already had its, its pump, like Litecoin's gotta be next. So I, you know, I did the same thing everybody else probably did. I bought a bunch of, of altcoins. I learned about projects. Um, and, um, and then eventually like, you know, the kind of the bubble burst and then I consolidated everything to Bitcoin. Cause I thought that was the one that had the most potential. And then I kind of forgot about it for a couple of years, uh, which I hate to admit, cause I think that would have been a cool couple of years to keep, keep staying into. It. <laughs> um, and I wasn't able to put very much money into Bitcoin. I put like credit card point money, any spare money I could outside of racing and living into it, but it wasn't like a huge, huge, huge sum. Um, but then in 2020, um, I tried to really learn about 
every kind of investing I, I, I could. I still knew I had a little bit of Bitcoin in a treasure somewhere, um, but I wanted to learn everything. So I, I read Bogleheads, I watched Dave Ramsey, I talked to financial planners, I tried to learn about stocks, bonds, commodities, tried to understand, you know, index funds and, and everything. And then um, Bitcoin was the one that kind of, everything else I listened to, like I kind of got brain fog. It didn't totally make sense. Um, but then when I viewed it through a Bitcoin lens, suddenly everything got a lot clearer. Do you remember the resources that you were using at the time to, to find that Bitcoin signal? Yeah, the um, the investors podcast with Preston Pish was was the big yep. one that I was listening to throughout the pandemic. And that's where it really, really started to click. Yeah, and uh, and now Preston, he just does his Bitcoin only podcast, right? That's yeah. that's the great thing. <laughs> as much as he still loves talking about macro and stocks and shares and stuff, uh, focusing all of his energy onto the Bitcoin only podcast, he's certainly orange pilled a huge amount of his listenership, which is amazing to see. And, um, you know, what a service he's done for, for his listeners and the people that were following the show. I remember listening to it as well, uh, that, um, you know, you'd, he'd be talking about equities or this, that, and the other thing, Warren Buffett, yada, yada, yada. And then somehow Bitcoin would come up again and it's like, Hmm, he's going to, he's going to orange pill a lot of people here. And that's yeah. exactly what he did. Yeah, and that, that's and the way that and then Sailor was a big one too. But yeah, Preston did an awesome thing. And then when I really got plugged into Bitcoin and Twitter, I, and that's where it really started going. And, and I think just viewing it as a, kind of an engineering thing was also what what really clicked and, and how it, it's unchangeable was just really cool. Um, because I mean, we've lived through the last couple of years of, of huge changes in interest rates. And it's just, it's really hard to plan when you've got things constantly changing exactly that and that's something i'm uh, i was being interviewed on a podcast yesterday and i was trying to get that point across you you cannot build anything if the unit unit of account is being manipulated the whole time i mean you couldn't build a house if the unit of account of a meter was being changed to 90 centers 90 centimeters to 110 centimeters every three months like it, the whole thing's going to fall apart so if you apply that to money, which you are trying to save in, you cannot build a savings. You you just cannot build anything. You cannot build a secure future if that is just completely manipulated every single day, whether that's through interest rates, through market manipulation in the stock markets, through printing of extra money, through bailing out banks when they fail. Like it's, it's constant, yeah, absolutely constant. Yeah, And that's why so many people... Do not have the hope that that you mentioned to Lauren. Yeah, um, it's kind of like Powell is this drunk dad on a speedboat, and we're all on the tube behind it, <laughs> and he just keeps whipping us <laughs> left and right. Um, that's the best analogy I can come up for it. Um, but yeah, there's there's an interesting correlation between racing and that because there's there's spec racing series where nothing changes, and that's what mine is like you have a very strict thing. You basically are given a car from a factory and it, that's what you have. And there's little adjustments you can make. But what that means is that the competition is very close because there's a constant. So, you know, you look at our racing, like we're all, you know, within a few tenths of each other because everybody is starting from the same platform. And so that's my favorite kind of racing because you have really driver versus driver um, versus Formula One, which their intent 
is different. They want to uh, constantly change the regulations, continue reshuffle the order. But if you think about it, that's really similar to what Fed is doing. They're constantly changing the regulations, the rules every four or five years. And what you get with that with Formula One is you have these periods of dominance and they're usually teams that are incredibly well-funded. They have an edge, they have very smart people and not to take anything away from them, but like you had Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes, Red Bull. Like these are the only teams you could legitimately win a championship within the last several years. Ferrari had a couple of years where they could have with Sebastian, but you have teams where they, it, it really, when you constantly change the rules, you have a splintering of, of potential. And over time, and it's, you, it's cool you see it with F1, after like year four or five where the regulations are the same, the teams become really close again. Um, mm -hmm. But to constantly reshuffle it, you create these, you know, changes where I think, you know, only the most well-funded operations can live um, and, and actually like prosper. Um, so it's kind of a cool correlation between, you know, spec racing, which I think is closer to Bitcoin and, uh, you know, non-spec racing or where F1 is, where it's just the rules are constantly changing and then uh, the littler guys can't keep up. You had the Black Swan event as well, didn't you? The uh, BAR team when Jensen Button won the um, the world championship out of nowhere because of that double diffuser they had, right? That everybody was crying foul against, but somehow the FIA let it pass. And that was the only car on the grid that had that. And voila, you had a new world champion. And then the next year, that was not allowed to happen. And then they just fell out of bed, went completely nowhere. And that was the end of that. Yes. So you're right. Yeah. And I love that year. Uh, our dog's name is Jensen Button. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Really cool. <laughs> I've read Ross Braun's book and yeah, it's a really cool story how that, how that came together, but yeah, they weren't able to even continue developing that car. So yeah, the next year it wasn't competitive and then it came to Mercedes where they of course became incredibly competitive, but yeah. Um, that was a, so you've been a race fan geek your, your whole life. This is something that you just kind of fell into watching even formula one which is very un uh it's like it's not that popular is it in america compared to the indie series or nascar it's growing quite a bit i think drive Sur drive to survive series has done a lot for that sport and honestly for all of all of racing i think there's just there's a lot of excitement about it in every every series um and uh but yeah i've, I've been into racing my whole life i really in you know late college medical school is where i really started watching tons of it um but i i i i love all of it i you know i don't i'm not necessarily a formula one over indycar guy i try to catch everything i can um because they're all interesting yeah all right so what is what's the goal with the racing where do you want to take this what's the uh you know, the head's down, visor's down, let's go. Do you have a, are you just happy driving in the championship that you are or you want to take this further? Are you looking for more sponsors? What's the, uh, what's the, the road? 20 years. <laughs> 20 years. And how, so how many years, is this your first year racing? My first year racing, yeah. So my first race wow. was a professional race in Sonoma. So I didn't start small. Uh, wow. And at what age, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 35. You're 35. Yeah. Now. Right. Quite oh, a bit older amazing. than, than a lot of people when they get into their yeah. early teens. Um, yeah, to me, I love the series that I'm in. I think I'm, I, every race I'm growing so much, uh, from a personal, um, race pace from racecraft, from learning about myself. So like, to me, like 
I've grown so much as a person these last few months. I like, if I can keep going as long as I could, I I'm excited about who I'd be. Um, so to me in, in the class that I'm in is super cool in touring cars, it's very close. So, um, my, my more close goals are to get a podium and a win. Um, I've gotten P4 several times. I think I've only, yeah, P4 has been for the most part where I've been, which is just one step off the podium, one step away from champagne. Uh, so getting that uh, will be really cool. And then next year, um, of course, would love more sponsorship. I think um, the Bitcoin um, uh, world is a really cool place to be for that because there's just kind of a cool common goal of just giving Bitcoiners something exciting to talk about, you know, even in a bear market, you know, there's not too much happening right now. Bitcoin's been sideways for, for a while. I think having something that people get excited about um, in the Bitcoin space is really cool. So, I mean, I would love some more sponsorship for next year. That would just help me continue to grow. And, and um, so, yeah, I, I think that winning a touring car championship would be really cool. I think I would put that onto my tombstone. Uh, it's maybe mm -hmm. the top two items uh, that I'd be proud of. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that would be great. And then from there, I mean, there's a really cool series called GT4, which is also SRO, also the same uh, kind of race weekends that I'm in. I'd love to do that because that you do that with a teammate. So you drive for 30 minutes a piece and that series is super competitive. The cars are awesome. So that to me would be like, would be great. And then this is now getting a real dream stuff. But if I could drive, like be one of the slowest cars at the 24 hours of Daytona would be amazing. Um, so I, that to me would be probably the peak I could reach, you know, starting as a, as a dusty old 35 year old. Do any of the fans come up to you after the events and ask about why you've got Bitcoin written all over the car? Because it's, it's right there on the bonnet, right? Huge. Uh, it can't be missed yeah, but or of commentators or interviewers asked you what, what kind of feedback are you getting from, uh, from the viewers? Yeah, we've had people specifically come up to us because they're there as race fans and then they're Bitcoiners. And so um, those are some of my favorite moments uh, because if when I can usually catch them and they, they come by the, the garage, which if anybody's at any of the races that's listening to this, like find us because um, I, you know, I'd be happy to show any Bitcoiner through the car. You, you can sit in the car, you can see like it's very different from a normal street car. Um, those are my favorite moments when they come in and, 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 and talk to me about Bitcoin. Um, I think there's some curiosity there, uh, and to people that, that don't know it. So I always think that's cool. We have a robot, I'm not going to say transformer, but we have a, we have a sticker that's, you know, a robot version of our car, um, that I have on the, on the car as a sticker. And then I hand those stickers out to kids too, because I, I think it's cool for them to see that Bitcoin's not like, some scary politicized thing. It's a public utility. It's for everybody. And so uh, those are some of my favorite moments of the weekend are just doing the autograph sessions because um, I can hand those out. And then people, yeah, they'll ask, oh, you're the Bitcoin car. Or I tell kids like, oh, mine's the car with a big B on the hood. And then, you know, if that's their first exposure to Bitcoin, I think that's incredibly cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about touch points. We, we need more and more touch points. And every time that car does a lap and it's televised or it just uh, rushes past you know, the fans eyes, there's another touch point. Yeah. When, um, do, when you do these races, uh, are you able to 
throw meetups as well at the same time. This is what the guys in the UK have been doing. So they will have a pleb meetup beforehand and the plebs can come and find them and hang in the pits and do all of that stuff. The last time they did it was at Silverstone, last race of the season. They had a tent up. They had uh, the Papusa lady there who um, was, uh, she had a business in London, but she came across to Silverstone and was making uh, the Papusas because they fly the El Salvadoran flag. Uh, it's it's a great way to um, to build community and uh, get you know some fun times with the plebs as well. You know, get everybody's relaxed, having a good time. Yeah, I'm glad you asked me that. Yeah, at Coda we had um, a good amount of Bitcoiners come because we had a meet. There was a Bitcoin meetup at Bitcoin Commons in Austin, Texas, on the Thursday night. I was mm-hmm. able to to grab a few minutes of, and and then people came from that to the race that weekend. So that was super cool. Um, we were able to give them some shirts and get them excited about it and have them learn. And mo- most of them like weren't race fans. So this is, but this is a reason for them to come see the track and then they got it, you know, then their eyes get all wide because it's just so cool. Um, so we did that at Austin. Uh, the uh, megawatt guys are putting together uh, something called Bitcoin race weekend for the Indianapolis race in October. Um, so that's going to be very similar to what you just described at Silverstone. There's going to be a dedicated space and they'll have access to the paddock. And uh, they're putting together a full event where Bitcoiners from around the country can come to that, especially the ones that are already in Indianapolis. Um, I think Megawatt can even help with a ticket um, as well. Um, so um, that's going to be, I think, the one to, to come to. And hopefully we do that every year. Um, I think that would be super exciting. That'd be awesome. Make sure um, you get the guys, uh, if you want to connect me to them, if they need any help, but if they can get that event listed on Orange Pill app, then anybody that um, is looking at that will be able to um, pinpoint that, find the details, get in touch and um, get themselves a ticket and come along and support you guys. And my next question was going to be, how can the plebs help support? Again, what we were doing with uh, Bitcoin Racing in the UK we found that a lot of plebs that wanted to get behind and send some sats across, but obviously no one can sponsor a whole damn race car. That's ridiculous. So what they did is they crowdfunded on Geyser. They listed their project on Geyser. And if you sent across, I think it was like 200 bucks, you could get your Twitter profile sticker put on one of the cars, uh, which is a fun thing to do for the plebs. That's a great idea. Um, I was going to ask you, yeah, what, what have you seen too? Um, uh, yes, I think I really should should think through how to, how to get some more people's handles on a car is a really good idea. I thought about like, do I put like a lightning wallet, uh, address like on the roof or something like as a way to like get people to use the tech. But then I didn't know if that would seem too much like asking. Um, it's, it's something that I've thought through that. Like, what do you think if, if, if I were to do that? I, why not? Why not? Okay. Like, uh, yeah, absolutely. And especially, um, yeah, you'd need a large one, I suppose. If, yeah, hmm, how would you get it? I'm trying to figure out how that might work if viewers were watching from abroad and were just watching a YouTube stream or something. They'd have to try and pause the video to try and capture the QR code. It's probably not going to happen. So it'd only be more likely to happen if you're in the actual paddock. And then, uh, yeah, you don't want it on the roof of the car because no one's phone will be able to capture the QR <laughs> Yeah, well, I've got to keep Bitcoin on the hood. Uh, maybe on the rear bumper or something. It's something I can think of. Yeah. And, and maybe it's something they can only do if they're they're there in person technologically. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. But it'd be fun even just to have a QR code in the windscreen. You know, it doesn't have to be huge. Um, yeah, for them to come around. 
and even claim some sats, you know, just uh, just to help with the educational side of things. Yeah, I think that's a great call. Um, I think the the thing, the most immediate thing, and that would uh, that people could do would be to follow me on Twitter. I think that would that would be helpful because I think the more that um, you know, doing a podcast like this is super cool because I think then it shows that you know there's a real person that's doing this, a real Bitcoiner. Like I believe in this stuff, and I've been in the space for years. So, and I it that's what I was so excited to about coming on here is like they get a chance to talk about Bitcoin. Normally, people I I, I can kind of see they're like, all right, Adam, <laughs> like enough, <laughs> I, I don't care. Um, so it's fun to just even get a time to to just chat through it. Have you managed to orange pill any of the uh, the mechanics or the uh, other team members? I have, yeah. Uh, Good for you. I have. I'm How did you do who. that? I won't, I won't dox them or whatever. But um, yeah, there's yeah. several guys on the team now. I'm sending podcasts. I'm sending my favorite tweets that I see. I'll bookmark and send it to them. Uh, so yeah, I've got more than a few guys that are that are getting really excited about it. And it's a cool time because we're, you know, what ten months away from the happening. And, um, so to me, is it just a great time to get into it too? So I, versus if we were at the top, I'd be like, all right, make sure your dollar cost averaging, like whatever top we're at, make sure your dollar cost averaging. It's low, but steady, right? Yeah. Which is completely, you know, completely against your usual, uh, track experience. Yes. Yeah. A little bit of conservatism there. Um, but you know, just slowly building it because it is easy to get overexcited and then you're locked into one price point. I know there's a lot of arguments for, you know, do you buy in bulk or, or just dollar cost average, but I tend to be more in the dollar cost average camp. All right. So if any Bitcoin only companies are out there listening, what's the best way to get in touch with you with regards to like sponsorship packages or any way that they can support you? Because I know uh, Strike, they dressed the car up, didn't they? In the Indy 500 uh, 18 months ago, whenever it was, when VK was racing. Yes. Um, I'm not sure if they've ever done that again, uh, but that created a big buzz, and that was uh, that was fun to see. And they've got a lot more money in the in the bank these days than they did in those days. So, and money's getting unlocked, right? A lot of these companies are starting to get funded. Unchained um, themselves were funded with sixty plus million dollars. Uh, so there could be a little marketing budget out there for some of these people. You know, what's the kind of what does it cost to get my name on a fender or like, uh, are you going to pull a Ricky Bobby and, and sell your windshield? <laughs> I don't know if I'll sell my windshield. I don't know if that's the road a while, but <laughs> maybe the back windshield, because you shouldn't be looking behind you anyways. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, the best way to contact me is, is my cell phone number. It's three once. No, <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to. Um, no, uh, it'd probably be Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm building a website too, but yeah, I would, I would reach out to me on Twitter. Um, uh, I think you'll have my handle listed here. I think that would be, uh, the best way. And then I can obviously we can exchange emails and call from there. Um, uh, but yeah, I think there's a lot there. There's a lot of, there's more money in the space, like you mentioned. And I think this, this is such a cool way to get people excited about Bitcoin and show that, you know, to put your name next to, cause there's other sponsors, like there's AWS and Pirelli and, all of these other businesses that people know are established. And when you sponsor a race car, you are, you're right there with them. And if your name is bigger than them, you know, I think that, that that's, you know, counts double or triple. Um, and, you know, these companies have a lot of different ways to think about marketing and 
Um, you know, there's Bitcoin conferences, which are great, but I think at some point you are a sponsor amongst many um, versus uh, having to be focused around a race car. Like, I think it's a great way to stand out. And like you mentioned before too, it's a cool way to bring fans out and have other Bitcoiners learn about your business. I think Unchained is incredibly cool. Uh, I met a lot of those guys down in Austin and what they provide is, is very cool. Um, so I'd love to do more things with them. Um, but uh, yeah, I, that's what I'm excited about it too, is I, I think there is a really good ROI for these sponsors because you get, get so much excitement. It, you remember it uh, when you've gone to a race with a company um, and that versus, uh, you know, the other options they have are conferences and those sorts of things that uh, to me, the, the excitement of this is just way higher. Um, so yeah, I, I, have you, have you found yourself as well, like many of us having the, um, the U-turn mindset on many of the things that we were ever taught in the past? Have you gone down any other Bitcoin side rabbit holes been pulled into any other areas that you never thought in your life would have been open to your kind of investigation if it weren't for finding bitcoin you used a word there i haven't heard before you said u-turn so that was u-turn a u-turn yeah um so uh, what would you call that in uh in the u.s but a 180 okay gotcha u-turn yeah um yeah i mean to me, like, I mean, I do it. Bitcoin makes you rethink everything. It makes you think about incentives and, and how to bring people together. I've, I've learned a lot about the economy that, like I said before, like was just always mysterious to me. Um, and I could never get a good cogent understanding of it. Um, I don't have other good examples for you though. Um, I do view everything through a Bitcoin lens, but nothing's coming to mind at this exact moment. Anything in like uh, the medical profession that um, or the medical school that you were taught that uh, you might now question, or is that something that you've long forgotten anyway? Mostly long forgotten it. I definitely I feel more like uh, a business owner now than a doctor. Um, I, I think the idea of, uh, of incentive structures is a great way to to move things forward. Is something that. Um, this excited me and I, you know, it's a way to think about it with marketing and, and community and, and building bridges between people, um, is a cool thing that Bitcoin does. Um, but yeah, nothing really medicine wise, but definitely more from a business trying to find ways where you can have collaborations that, are, that are, um, geez, I don't want to say the word synergy. That's so cheesy. Um, but yeah, that's definitely what it's made me think more about. Well, being able to save in Bitcoin is a way to protect the business as well, right? And you, you mentioned before the the sponsors, the bigger name sponsors, um, and this is something that, again, spoken to Bitcoin Racing about because I think over there, uh, who would it be? Like Hugo Boss and Tag, I believe, are an SO and Mobile are the, the sponsors on every single car. And then you have to bring your your own sponsorship money to it as well. Trying to get to the marketing managers of these people and having them understand the power of Bitcoin and what it could mean to their brands if they just simply started uh, accepting Bitcoin for some of their merchandise could be a huge way to go into um, orange pilling as many people as possible. So there is synergy there and um, there is a way that we can get to the, um, the, the bigger name sponsors that uh, are already 
in the racing scene. And I think it's a, an incredibly fertile ground. Yeah. I mean, you look at what MicroStrategy has done. I mean, I, I think that once we go through another halving cycle and their balance sheet just grows, I saw an interesting tweet the other day that was saying that like, you know, maybe Apple will have to buy MicroStrategy at some point just to get enough Bitcoin reserves because it just won't be available on the free market. Um, yeah, I think every no. business should have a little bit of Bitcoin on your balance sheet. Um, I just think I think it's a smart thing to do, just like everybody shouldn't be. Everybody should be off zero. And I think every business should be off zero. So I've got a, another uh, question from my oldest daughter who wasn't able to come down and ask you, but she wanted to know, what's it like for a race car driver to drive a street car normally on the roads as opposed to driving like a lunatic around the racetrack? That's a funny thing. Because um, you you have to like dial out the levels of safety and defense <laughs> that you have built in. If you're, I think a good defensive driver on the roads. Um, and I, I've actually struggled with that a little bit. Like when I was in my first race and I was approaching slower traffic, cause there's different classes of, of race cars in there. So some don't have the same lap times we do. Um, but approaching those cars, I'd allow a little distance as I was approaching. I didn't want to approach them too quickly and be dumb and run into them. Um, so that kind of like, you have to switch that off when you go into a racetrack and go, no, I'm going to get as close as I can and then get by them. Um, I try not to pull the race car driver mentality into street driving because, uh, yeah, you can get in trouble. Um, but in general, like I, I feel safer on a racetrack, you know, you're not going to get T-boned, like everybody's going the right direction and everybody generally is going to break at the same time. And, and so uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I kind of feel more comfy out there now because you, everything's more predictable, uh, versus on the, on the road. That's funny. I've heard Lewis Hamilton answer that question the exact same way to the point where he said, fuck that man. I, I don't drive out there. That's are you kidding me? It's dangerous. <laughs> like who the hell, like no way, no way would I be out there. You have no idea what people are going to do. They're going left, right, reversing. It's an, it's a mess. Yes. No, I'd rather be on the racetrack. Thank you very much. And it's when you right. think about it, that makes complete logical sense uh, that you guys would come to that conclusion. Yeah. Uh, but obviously for, for us, mere plebs watching on the sideline it looks like you're having so much fun out there and oh i'd love to be a race car driver people don't realize how much of a battle it is a fight how fit you have to be the the toll it takes on your body and your mental capacity the fact that you guys can drive at 250 miles an hour down a pit straight and glance to your right to see uh or or left to see a message on a pit board or something dial in something on the, the dials on your your steering wheels when you watch the formula one guys now they have the um the visor cams which is just unbelievable it's and amazing. watching the drive to survive series as well is unreal like how are you doing that and flicking all those buttons and switches and dials on the the steering wheel at the same time whilst listening to the radio and responding and looking at the pit lap board and knowing exactly where you are in the race truly incredible yeah, you, that's one of the, I think maybe even most addictive part about doing racing, um, is that when you're out there, you forget about everything else. Like there's nothing on your mind except for that one singular thing. And it's very rare to get there. I've tried meditating. It's tough, but that's like the closest thing that I think, um, that I could say as an analogy to it, because you're so zoned in and focused because you have to be, 
Um, and so, yeah, suddenly things slow down. You're going 150 miles an hour and you can spot a break point that maybe is just a little change in the color of the pavement or just an outpouching into the pavement or like you tend to, you need to pick something that's constant, but like you're looking for these little tiny markers, a little patch of grass, uh, but you're able to see these things. And that's one of the most enjoyable things. I know it, I remember in race four at NOAA, like I got into that flow state and it was mm. like, it was like a runner's high almost. Um, and so, yeah, that's how I think you can do it. I think just the human body is pretty amazing. And when you get really locked in, its potential is really high. Um, but I do spend a lot of time training. Um, I think I probably have to do it more than others. Cause I'm one of the older guys, um, on the grid with me. Um, but, uh, so I, yeah, I, I work out every day if I can, I I'm in the sauna several times a week. The heat is a big part of this. Um, our cars have air conditioning, but it's kind of like a hot baby breath. It's, it's not like, <laughs> it's, it's not like a luxurious air conditioning that a normal BMW would have. Um, yeah, no, been, you, you don't have the radio on in there either. Right. When you're, when you're going around, it's not like you can pe- put your favorite music on. Sometimes I really wish they would play some music over the radio. Uh, yeah. just to like amp me a little bit, especially at the start of a race. It's funny. Like I know which, I know which song they would need to, to play for you. Which one is it? Don't you know, pump yes, it? Yes, that's exactly. It. I've, you got to pump it. Up. I've waited like Don't you two know, years. Pump it. Come on, where's where's your race engineer? Get me on the line. We got to get uh, that pumped just as you just as the red lights go lit. Yes, that that probably you know, would pump be that it. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, I've been waiting for the for the next pump to happen to listen to that. I've reserved it. Um, I love that song. <laughs> I love the the YouTube meme videos with it with the printer going. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, I think that would be nice. Cause it's funny. You even get kind of sleepy before a race. Like, like I, I you've seen the, maybe you've seen the F1 drivers where they're like asleep in their mm-hmm. cockpit and you're like, how is that possible given the amount of nerves of what's going on? But it's, it's weird. The body kind of like prepares you and I think it puts you in a sleepy state to start. So yeah, I need to have that song going. Uh, yeah. And so- you, you said that they are literally nothing like, a a race car, excuse me, a street car, because it looks like a BMW from the outside. And um, I've sat in the, the the BMW, the Bitcoin racing guys have in, in Silverstone. That was scary, man. I, I did not want to be in there. It is not a comfortable place just to be sat there, let alone imagine firing that thing up and launching it around a racetrack. Yeah. And you're going through corners that like over two Gs and over bumps that throw your body uh completely and it's just rattling around it's loud as hell it's nothing like the driving experience you would be used to yeah their race cars are very uncomfortable you have to you have to really want it to be in there um yeah like you said they're hot they're noisy uh there's metal all around you that's protective but not soft um yeah it's it's definitely an experience all right i've i've got to ask the dumb, stupid question. How many offs? Biggest crash? What was that like? Yeah. Um, luckily, I haven't had too many crazy offs. I've never put it into a barrier. There's, you know, there's a lot of it in racing is, is getting ahead of the problem. And so when you see like a big shunt, like they got behind it. And, um, you know, an F1 and Indy car that could mean a millisecond behind it. Um, Mm -hmm. so luckily I I just, I've stayed in front of the car to avoid that. 
the biggest um, incidents I've had uh, was probably at this last race at, at, at Coda. Um, I was uh, in the stadium section and another competitor of mine, um, Kyle, who I love as a guy. And that's the cool thing about this touring car thing. Like we're all friendly with each other. We send each other videos afterwards of our own onboards. And I don't think you get that at all tiers of racing at all. Um, but yeah, we, we share with each other and, and we say, Oh, you know, I was maybe a little bit too risky there or, or whatever. Um, or, you know, I didn't see this or, um, so we're all kind of growing together. Um, but yeah, Kyle shoved it on the, I, I made a pass through 12, didn't defend the inside as much. He shoved in there. Uh, and, uh, so we banged doors and I was like, all right, that's cool. Like we're there. And then I stayed like right on his fender and he just didn't know that I was right there. And so he turned in to basically shut the door and, and, you know, defend the line into 15, which is the right thing to do if I just was not, you know, a foot, uh, at his rear. So then we banged it and he really popped up and it bent my wheel in on the, um, on the, on the front, right. Um, and so, but that was exciting. I mean, and it's funny too, like you go through those things. I don't think anybody knows when they're out there exactly how things happen. I came in and had to review the video footage. Like when you see, when they, whenever you watch a race and they ask a driver, what happened, whatever they think is probably wrong. Uh, because there's so much adrenaline that you don't, it's really hard to tell. Did I hit him? Did he hit me? But when you watch the video footage, things become clear. Um, so yeah, that, that race I, I ended, I, I came into the pits. I was like, I hope my team's not mad at me because both sides of my car are banged in. I had to replace the rockers. Like the livery has tire rubber all over it. Um, so that was probably the biggest one. All right. Well, I'll ask you the final question and, uh, let's see, uh, where you go with this one. If you had one last orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? I love that question. Um, the two. I don't think this is a perfect answer, but I don't want to sit here for 45 seconds thinking further through. <laughs> um, I probably think Barack Obama. Um, I think a former president, um, they all, all presidents talk to each other, a complete other story, but my dad was a secret service agent. Uh, so, um, Whoa. uh, yeah, I grew up with that. There's some funny stories there. Um, but the, the presidents continue to have impact even after they're out of office, um, both domestically and internationally. So, um, you know, without getting further politically, I think that um, Barack Obama would be a, a really powerful advocate because, you know, the influence that he continues to have um, all over the world. So that'd probably be my answer. Well, it, there is no perfect and there is no correct or wrong answer. That's the beauty of that question. Secret service, though? I mean, what you so you grew up with like uh, secret gadgets in the house, like James Bond as a father? Uh the funny thing about secret service is they need to hire people that look incredibly normal. So they don't stand out. So if you met my dad, like he's a dude, uh, he's a lovely man. Um, but you wouldn't, you know, he doesn't look like Schwarzenegger. Uh, he looks like a guy. Uh, he's Robert De Niro from the Fockers. Character. Yes. Yeah. But he, can, right. 
I think a little less scary, uh, but he can hit. back <laughs> in his day. He was a sharpshooter with an Uzi. He could hit like a dime from a hundred meters away or something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but wow. very, very good there. Um, I think my favorite story from that, I, I only heard recently, um, the secret service used to be under the treasury. Um, and that was just kind of how it was. So the secret service would always investigate any sort of, uh, counterfeiting of money. Uh, that was their division. Uh, now the secret service is under the department of Homeland security, but back then they were under the treasury. And so then they also had this investigatory wing. Um, so my dad, and I, when I was growing up, I knew the secret service. I knew that was cool, but I thought he literally stood in front of a door most of the time, which, you know, he did because, you know, they have very important job of guarding um, important people. Um, but he was actually like doing these undercover, like sting operation things um, when I was like seven. So like, you know, the same guy telling me to like clean the basement and take the trash out was also like, uh, gosh, I wish I could remember his uh I can't remember his his name that he'd go under. Maybe I shouldn't say it, but um, but yeah, they um they had like this uh, printing press that you could make fake dollars with, and um, he was going to a, a thing where this guy was going to buy it, and um, he had to then show him this this thing, and a big thing my dad wanted to make sure of was that it didn't say Secret Service on it, because that would obviously give everything up. So. Um, he uh, made as sure as he could, but he wasn't able to go actually check it himself. So he shows up with the guy and I asked him, I was like, how did you not like be incredibly nervous? And uh, so he said he used that. Um, he acted nervous and his his play was that he was, um, I think a brother or friend or relative or something of the guy actually selling it. So he didn't want to be there. So the whole time he was saying like, look, I want to get out of here. I don't want to be here as part of the thing, but he really didn't want to be there too. Cause he was a little scared. Um, and he noticed when he was there, he rolled over one of those rolls and it said, you know, uh, um, what's the word confiscated by secret service. And so they turned <laughs> it real fast and they were in a dark warehouse or something. So, um, yeah, he had to, uh, uh, he just like the guy had a flashlight too. So that scared him. He didn't expect him to bring his own flashlight. Um, so then, yeah, he like got out of there as quickly as he could. He's like, Nope, I'm done with this. And like led the guy away and luckily nothing happened. I think his backup was like two, three minutes away. Um, uh, so it was just him and the guy. And, uh, yeah, I was pretty surprised to hear that because, um, yeah, I always knew him as the guy that would just, you know, tell me to take out the trash, but he was actually like doing legit <laughs> undercover stuff. Amazing. Yeah. Well, and, and to think that like the biggest arrest he could have made was just to walk across to the U.S. Federal Reserve and arrest them for money printing. I've had a lot of talks with them about that. Like, I would imagine right. so. <laughs> they can counterfeit as much as they want. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Had, They'll just to... counterfeit as much as they want and then send you off on wild goose chases in the warehouse. And it doesn't matter if you might get injured in the line of duty, but you know, you're doing it for the good of the country. And oh, man. Yes. Yeah. And it's, is, have you managed to get him down the rabbit hole as well? I can't. It's I've tried. He he understands there's a problem with government spending. He 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 gets to that point. Um, but I think it it gets really hard. Um, you know, he's in his seventies. It it gets hard for them to kind of understand a, a money based on code that doesn't exist with a physicalness. Uh, I think that's 
there's a there's just a barrier there. But I'm going to keep working at it because uh, I think he can get there. He's he understands spending is is con- out of control, and he's also seeing his dollar like just get completely washed away over time. And he he instilled that his big thing is saving. His parents grew up in the Great Depression, so you know he mm-hmm. was never into um, you know anything flashy or anything like that. He he wanted you to save way more than you earned and and have those principles, which that is there in Bitcoin. And I've tried to kind of build that bridge that that is what Bitcoin's doing is it's saving. Uh, I don't think it's investing. I think it's saving. Um, yeah. And so he, I think I can get him there eventually. Fingers crossed for you, mate. Uh, yeah, we, we all have that battle with our parents of, of that generation and of that age. My, my old man's in his seventies as well. And he was, a uh, like a one a one bank man career guy you know he worked for the same bank swiss bank for like 35 40 years and then they merged in, into becoming ubs in foreign exchange so you'd think he'd be primed to understand like you know this is broken and it wasn't real any of it all of that money you were moving around and um it's just getting printed into oblivion but no, it falls on deaf ears. It does. So I and I, I did a nerdy thing the other just Saturday morning. I like printed out like M2 money supply and one one column, and then the SP 500 in another column to see how they've tracked. And it's a wild how closely they've moved together. And even if you're investing, like you are standing still at this point, um, or even losing out. And it didn't, it wasn't always that way. Um, but yeah, I think the only way you can save now is is through Bitcoin. Um, otherwise you're standing still. And if you do nothing, if you just hold dollars, like that's a guaranteed loss. Nobody would ever make that bet in, in 10 years. I can't touch it. I would, I would keep a dollar. You, you have to go to something else. And I, I wish it wasn't that way. Um, but I mean, it does create opportunity that is Bitcoin. It certainly is great place to leave it, mate. Thank you for coming on and, uh, best of luck in the race. In, well, in all of the races for the rest of this season uh fingers crossed and um i hope the plebs reach out and uh and get in touch thank you so much yeah i'd love that anybody interact with me on twitter i'll you know would love to to just keep building that bridge and and sharing bitcoin and sharing the excitement of it um yeah uh the next race is june 19th let me pull it up real quick sorry i should have that it is june 17th and 18th at VIR. Uh, it's on the GT World YouTube channel. Um, and you can just search SRO, that's the series, TC uh, Touring Car, um, and then Virginia, and it would come up. Um, and they they broadcast them live. I, I, did you get a chance to check any of the races? I've checked some of yours. Yeah, I've not caught yeah. them live yet, but I've checked them on the uh, the reruns on the YouTube channels. Yeah, yeah. So the, yeah, the replays stay up, but the broadcast is super cool. Um, so yeah. Uh, be awesome if anybody watches the races. Connect with me on Twitter. Um, if you're interested in in sponsoring the race car, um, you know there's there's other places on the car this year um, that we could talk about. And we have the Bitcoin Race Weekend uh, at Indy, which I think is going to be super cool. So anybody um, in the Midwest or further that wants to see an awesome race at it's a it's at IMS. It's at the Indy 500 racetrack uh, using the confirmation of the Formula One um, configuration. So. It's going to be a really cool one. It's also the Indy eight hour weekend. So like that's a huge endurance race happening on on top of the same weekend as this Bitcoin race weekend. So um, I'd recommend reaching out to to Megawatt. Um, 
my sponsor, if you've got any interest in, in Bitcoin mining, they are experts. They are lovely, friendly people. Arneel, by the way, read your book. Uh, he's one of the one of the guys at, at Megawatt. And um, yeah, we didn't even talk about nomad living. Um, maybe we'll have to do a part two at this because, yeah, I've lived lots <laughs> of different places in the last two years in Europe for a few months and here. So um, I definitely um, went on a tangent there. But yeah, um, check out the Indy race. Check out the next race. Connect with me on Twitter. Um, yeah, we'll keep uh, spreading the word about Bitcoin. Excellent. Thank you, mate. Well, have a great uh, weekend and uh, get that training in and really good luck for the uh, the 17th and 18th of June weekend. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate it, Daniel. Anytime, brother. Take care. Awesome. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Adam. And if you are in the US and you are close to this event that's going to be taking place this weekend and you're a maxi and you're a Bitcoiner and you love meeting Bitcoiners and you want to support the cause, get along. Go say hi. You'll be shocked at the access that you'll be given. You'll be able to go see the team, get behind the scenes. And I know this because of forming a relationship with the Bitcoin racing guys here in the UK. I'm going to have Charlie back on the show soon to keep us up to speed again. I just love dropping these puns of what is going on in the UK with Bitcoin racing and the the, the, the steps they've made forward over the last year or so since embracing the Bitcoin community and creating something. And don't forget, you as a pleb, you can do this. Like whatever your passion is, just start something there's going to be uh more and more of this kind of initiative coming out there's already a bitcoin and golf telegram group or twitter group that i'm part of where plebs are trying to put together just a a pleb tournament it's not even going to be competitive it's like just let's get out and all play golf together so whatever your sport is whatever your passion is it doesn't matter if it's a reading club or a skydiving club make it happen get it done create something list it on orange pill app orange pill app is there for you i've been showing people the power of orange pill app in uh, prague last week and they cannot believe the amount of events that are posted on the app I'm pi- i scroll through it and people are whoa, whoa wait wait where's i live there I'm like yeah like this is what's going on guys there's over 400 events at time of recording listed on orange pill app and one of those events might be within 20 minutes or an hour's drive of you. And you can go and meet your people. Or you might sign up and find there's a dude or a couple of dudes that live in my town and we can start our own event. And we can create something here in our own community. It's the social layer of Bitcoin that we need to keep building out because it's amazing when you actually get to meet each other. And you can do that. Other conferences are coming up. If you want discounts to get to Baltic Honey Badger, which is put on by Hoddle Hoddle, that's in September, you can use the code BITTEN. Hit the link in the show notes. Head over to their website. Find out more about Riga and Latvia and Hoddle Hoddle and what they offer with KYC Free Sats and their lending platform. And get their ticket. Use the code BITTEN. Get 10% off. If you want to go to Prague, Liberty Now Lifetime is not a Bitcoin-focused conference. It's a parallel structures-focused conference. You get to meet people from all kinds of freedom movements, which are really, really interesting and uh, great orange-pilling fertile ground. And of course, 
there's going to be a bunch of Bitcoiners there, a lot fewer, and generally some high signal guys, and you get to hang out with these people because they're your people and they want to talk to the plebs. So get to one of these events. You can hit up Libertinian Lifetime, uh, hit that link in the show notes and use the code BITTEN, as always, for that 10% discount. Make sure you're stacking. I said at the beginning of the show, there's an order in which you can do that. You can stack with Swamp Bitcoin. You can stack with Relay, with Coin Corner and Hoddle Hoddle, who are putting on the Baltic Honey Badger. You can up your privacy with tools such as uh, Coin Joining, do your own research, see which service is best for you. WasabiWallet.io support this show, and they are also a very easy service to use. Max Hillebrand, the CEO, has been on the show a couple of times answering the hard questions, so you can go back and find those episodes with him. And then make sure you have self-custodied, because the Bitbox O2 is the place to keep your Bitcoin as safe as possible. You can hit up bitbox.swiss and use forward slash bitten, then use the code bitten at checkout and you'll get a 5% discount and keep your coins safe. What else can you do? Well, mempool.space. Have you seen it? Have you been there? Have you visualized Bitcoin? Have you helped somebody else understand what a blockchain or a time chain looks like? I've used this even with my own parents to show them, this is what happens. These are the transactions that are waiting. Oops, one just got transacted. This happens every 10 minutes and it opens up a discussion. This has never been hacked. This is perfectly audited every 10 minutes down to the last Satoshi. This is just something that blows people's minds. And they have a bunch of educational resources on there too. So mempool.space is where you can head for that. And thank you everybody for supporting the show. I look forward to the next one. Take care.